I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Thursday, October 7th, 2021, and we are live. Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation WFDF. Well, we have a jam-packed show today, and it's been a uh, very busy day today. Um, I was going to talk about this story on Wednesday's show, but I said, no, it's a lengthy story, so we'll talk about it today. So, you know, we've been talking about critical race theory. We've been talking about the uh, different school boards uh, that have banned books. Um, just on uh, yesterday's show, we talked about a uh, high school in Missouri, Park Hill High School in, in uh, Missouri, where some students circulated a pro-slavery uh, petition, a petition to bring slavery back. And we've talked about most recently, like in Tennessee, where um, the uh, school board uh, banned uh, four books uh, dealing with the civil rights movement. So I saw this story from uh, rawstory.com and then um, also NBC News picked it up as well as uh, um, click uh, Channel 2 in Houston. So you have an um, African-American book author, a well-known um, uh, children's book author, Jerry Craft. And he has uh, two award-winning books, New Kid and Class Act, Class Act. And these books deal with uh, boys who are school age who have trouble fitting in, okay, uh, fitting in school. He's the winner of the 2020 Newbery Medal, the Coretta Scott King Author Award, and the Kirkus Prize. So he was scheduled to speak at uh, Roosevelt Alexander Elementary School, Roosevelt, Aleza Roosevelt Alexander Elementary School. He was scheduled to uh, uh, speak virtually there. Uh, I guess they were gonna do Zoom or something like that on October 4th. But you had uh, one parent in particular who created an online petition on uh, change.org complaining about uh, some of the subject of his award-winning books for children, saying that the books promote critical race theory, even though they don't. So the uh, petition garnered 500 signatures and his presentation has been postponed. The book has been pulled for review. So this is a this is a crazy, crazy story. Uh, black author Jerry Kraft has books pulled, speech postponed by Texas School District. And they pulled the book amid uh, false critical race theory claims. They pulled the book amid false critical race theory claims. Um, we're going to talk about this here on today's show. 
it's a, uh, a a crazy story once again and it's it, when you when you hear this it's also a, a story where it, it appears that you have some white people who are afraid of um, the truth getting out as well the parent who started the petition her name is Bonnie Anderson she's a white woman of course she's a former candidate for uh, the Caddy Independent School District, because this uh, school is in the Caddy, K-A-T-Y, Caddy Independent School District. And she said the subject matter of the book, some of the information in the book is inappropriate instructional material, inappropriate instructional material. And she's basically saying that the book promotes critical race theory, even though the book doesn't talk about critical race theory. She's saying that's what they really want to say. That's what they really want to promote. So this has also caused backlash because uh, a lot of parents were looking forward to Jerry Craft speaking uh, to their children. So we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. Now, also, there was a... Um, we were going to talk about this Monday on Roller Martin or Tuesday on Roller Martin Unfiltered when I was on Roller Martin Unfiltered. And I'll be back on Roller, I'll be back on Roller Martin Unfiltered on uh, Friday. Be back on tomorrow. An update in the Ahmad Arbery case. The, well, the trial, the trial of the three men who allegedly killed Ahmad Arbery. Uh, jury selection starts October 18th. And you have uh, Travis McMichael, who uh, owned the vehicle um, that owned one of the vehicles that they used to chase down Ahmad Arbery. But on September 30th, the attorney for uh, Travis McMichael and um, uh, his father, uh, Greg McMichael, they filed a motion because they do not want photos of the vanity plate that was on Travis McMichael's truck. They don't want photos of the vanity plate shown during the trial. Now, the vanity plate uh, has on it a Confederate battle flag, or what people call a Confederate flag, okay? That's on the vanity plate. And it's similar to the uh, state flag of Georgia. According to court documents, the vanity plate, quote, shows a representation to the state of Georgia flag from 1956 through 2001, which includes a Confederate emblem. So they don't want this shown in court because they are afraid that this will prejudice the jury and they 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 say it, it, it could be misinterpreted that they're white supremacists or, or racists or something like that. I don't know where they get that idea from. Uh, so they're trying to get this thrown out. They don't want the uh, the images of Travis McMichael's Confederate battle flag vanity plate that was on that was on his truck. When Ahmad Arbery was killed and they chased him down, it was on his truck. Okay, 
So we'll talk about this as well. All right. And then also there was a uh, segment, you know, we've been talking about hearing you lax here uh, on the show also. And uh, there was a segment from uh, the readout with Joanne Reed that I, I did not get a chance to squeeze in yesterday. Uh, ben, Attorney Benjamin Crump and uh, Henrietta Lacks' grandson were interviewed on the readout with Joanne Reed a couple of days ago. So we're going to squeeze in that segment as well. All right. And then also we'll give you, uh, we'll do a, a quick recap of what took place in class number one of ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we, we did that uh, class number one on Sunday. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And that is a 10-week online course that I teach. And we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. All right. So on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions. Because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, uh, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, and then also visit our website uh, Visit our website to register for the uh, 10-week online course that I teach on Sundays, uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understand the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. And we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived. You can go back and watch it anytime. All right. So I, I want to jump into uh, want to jump into this first story here. And it, there's a good article from um, uh Click to Houston, Channel 2 in uh, Houston, Texas, okay? Um, Caddy ISD pulls book, cancels author's visit uh, after parents' petition, after parents' petition. So uh, Caddy Independent School District, Okay, KISD, Caddy Independent School District, uh, said they have temporarily removed books by an award winning children's author from their library shelves after an outcry from parents claiming the subject matter 
promotes critical race theory, claiming the subject matter promotes critical race theory. Now, Jerry Kraft is the writer and illustrator of two books, New Kid and its sequel, Class Act. Okay, New Kid and its sequel, Class Act. All right. And uh, these are very interesting books also. He's also, it appears, an illustrator. And he's an illustrator. Um, one of the books I bought for my daughter. And I didn't, I didn't know really, I hadn't read any books that, or looked at any books, I don't think that he wrote. But there's one um, that was written by a, a female author that I bought for my daughter a couple of years ago. So he, uh, Jerry Kraft is the winner of the 2020 Newberry Medal, the Coretta Scott King Author Award, and the Kirkus Prize, K-I-R-K-U-S, the Kirkus Prize. Now, Jerry Kraft's website describes the books which feature young African-American boys as an, quote, honest graphic novel about starting over at a new school where diversity is low and the struggle to fit in is real, okay? An honest graphic novel about starting over at a new school where diversity is low and the struggle to fit in is real. And as laugh out loud funny, powerful and important story, and as a laugh out loud funny, powerful and important story about being one of the few kids of color in a prestige, in a prestigious private school. Now, according to the website, Universal Pictures has acquired film rights to New Kid, uh, his, his, his book, New Kid, with LeBron James, the Spring Hill Company, uh, with LeBron James uh, Company, the Spring Hill Company, on board to develop and produce. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. And after History Network show, we deal with current events of history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, Superstation, Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Thursday, October 7th, 2021, and we are live. Call the number 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Uh, very quickly here before we go back uh, to the story um, out of uh, Texas, uh, 910 AM, the Superstation has the Godfather's advertising package, the greatest advertising deal ever. Uh, you get 200 spots for $500 with a must-air within 30-day policy, 200 Advertising spots for $500 must air within 30 days. That is only $2.50 per spot. And they will even produce the spots for free. That's right, for free. Call Renisha Williams right now at 313-434-8291. 313-434-8291. Let her know that you found out about this from the African History Network. 
Okay, uh, let's go uh, back to this story here. And uh, thanks to Rita also for the donation as well. Definitely appreciate the support. Um, right before the break, I was talking about this story out of uh, the Houston, Texas area, okay? Uh, this school district is right outside of uh, Houston, Texas. So this story deals with an award-winning author named Jerry Craft, okay, Jerry Craft. And we're going to go to clip number one here in just a second, Shakita. And he has two books, uh, New Kid and Class Act. And these are children's books. And these books deal with um, Af African-American uh, boys who are trying to fit into a new school. And there's a lack of diversity in, in the school, okay? Uh, Jerry Craft's website describes the books which feature young African-American boys as an honest, graphic novel about starting over at a new school where diversity is low and the struggle to fit in is real. Okay. And as a laugh out loud, funny, powerful, and important story about being one of the few kids of color in a prestigious private school. Now, according to the website, uh, Universal Pictures has acquired film rights to uh, the book, New Kid, and LeBron James' um, company, the Spring Hill Company, is on board to develop and produce the film. Now, a flyer uh, was sent out at the start of the school year touting Jerry Craft's October 4th, 2021 virtual visit. Okay, that was supposed to be uh, Monday, October 4th. It was supposed to be a virtual visit with third through fifth graders, third, fourth, and fifth graders at Roosevelt Alexander Elementary School, which is in the Caddy, K-A-T-Y, Caddy Independent School District. Now, an amended flyer was sent to parents Friday and said parents and guardians could opt out their students uh, out of the visit, opt out their students out of the visit. Okay, and I'm not sure why you want to opt your students out of the visit, but okay. Now, a district spokeswoman told KPRC uh, Channel 2 there in the Houston, Texas area, as of Monday, October 4th, 30 parents had opted out. I'm really not sure why. Uh, maybe the scary black man on the, on the screen scared the hell out of them. I'm not sure why, but okay. But that option came just as a now deleted petition on change.org began circulating calling on the district to cancel, cancel the virtual visit and ban the books. The petition, so I went to change.org. The petition has been taken down because it said that the, the petition violated the guidelines of change.org. Now, um, Bonnie Anderson, Bonnie Anderson said it is inappropriate instructional material. It is inappropriate instructional material. Now, Bonnie Anderson is a former candidate for the Caddy Independent School District School Board and a party in a lawsuit against the Caddy Independent School District's mask mandate. Now, when you hear how crazy Bonnie Anderson is, allegedly crazy, all this is going to come together. Because I'm listening to this woman. I've said, this, okay, she sounds crazy. But then... She's suing 
the school, the, the school district over mass mandate. I say, oh, okay. You sound like one of these critical race theory nuts that started out protesting against mass mandates. And then this morphed into critical race theory. And y'all don't even know what critical race theory is because critical race theory is not taught in K through 12 schools. Now, Bonnie Anderson says the petition garnered 500 signatures before she says it was taken down for violating change.org community guidelines. Quote, they are pointed at white children displaying microaggressions. Okay. See now there's something, there's something really, really wrong here. Okay. And there's a fear that some white people have all white people don't have this, but there's a fear that some white people have. And I think they're afraid of the truth getting out and afraid of having to explain some things to their children. Maybe some things that their great grandfathers and grandfathers have done or what have you. But Bonnie Anderson said, quote, they are pointed at white children displaying microaggression to children of color. The books don't come out and say, quote, we want white children to feel like oppressors, end quote. But that is absolutely what they will do. Now, I don't know what evidence uh, Miss Bonnie is citing that these award winning books that children like are going to make white children feel like oppressors. Or maybe maybe in the back of her mind, she tacitly feels guilty about some white people being oppressors. Omerly Sanchez, O-M-E-L-Y, Omerly Sanchez said two children are biracial and they are already fans of the books and that her son especially could relate to the books, uh, to the book's theme of, of struggling to fend. Omerly Sanchez told KPRC Channel 2 uh, in the Houston her children were looking forward to the virtual visit with an author who quote unquote looks like them. See, this, see, some of this, a lot of this has to do with the fear of the browning of America and white people becoming a racial minority in this country by 2043 or possibly sooner. And the, the, the census uh, data that came out a few months ago that show for the first time since 1790, since the first census was taken, white people have uh, have have dropped below 60 percent. As far as the percentage of population in this country, if we look at this article here from The Washington Post, census data shows widening diversity, number of white people falls for first time. This is from August 12, 2021. OK. The report marks the first time the absolute number of people who identify as white alone has shrunk since a census started being taken in 1790. That's when the first census was taken. Census created by the U.S. Constitution, taken every 10 years. The number of people identifying as non-Hispanic white and no other race dropped by 5.1 million people to 191.7 million white people, Europeans in the country. That's a, a percentage decrease by 2.6%. This is the, the it, it, and this is the first time 
that you've had a decrease in the number of white people in the country, but also the first time you, it, it, the, the percentage has dropped below 60%. The country also passed two more milestones on its way to becoming a majority minority society in the coming decades. For the first time, the portion of white people dipped below 60%. It, it was 63.7% in the 2010 census. Now it's 57.8%. In, in the 2020 census and the under 18 population is now majority non-white people at 52.7 percent now we know we know that okay we just lost our connection to the radio station hold on just a second just a second let me call the station back Stand by. Shakita, can you hear me? Yeah, we lost our connection. All right, all right, we're back. We lost our connection to uh, the radio station. Okay, so uh, the we were talking about the U.S. Census. And we know that the uh, in 2018, June 2018, the U.S. Census put out a, a memo that talks about how uh, white people had a negative birth rate in 26 states out of 50. And that was up from uh, 17 states out of 52 years prior. OK, so if we go back, go back to this article here from uh, Channel 2 in Houston, Texas. Let's go back to this here. So uh, Omerly Sanchez said her two children who are biracial were already fans of Jerry Craft's books and that her son especially could relate to the book's theme of struggling to fit in. OK, uh, she told KPRC uh, that her children were looking forward to the virtual visit with an author who looks like them. So. It, it on the surface, it appears that some parents were, were maybe scared of having this African-American man talk to your children. Now, Omelie Sanchez was disappointed by the petition that was started on change.org and garnered 500 signatures. And the districts and she was also disappointed with the district's handling of the situation. She said, quote, they want to live in this bubble. They're uncomfortable with touching the subject they're uncomfortable knowing that they're part of the problem they are they're uncomfortable knowing they are part of the problem now in september 2021 governor greg abbott of texas signed into law a bill banning the teaching of critical race theory in K through 12 schools, even though critical race theory is not taught in K through 12 schools. Now, uh, Texas Republican uh, state representative, Steve Toth, T-O-T-H, of the Woodlands, in a May interview with KPRC Channel 2 said a teacher may not teach that any individual by virtue of the individual sex or race is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive. 
who's teaching that? Who who who's teaching that somebody because of their race, sex, or uh uh because of the individual sex or race is inherently racist or sexist or oppressive? It, it sounds like they're afraid to talk about white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works. Now scholars said critics have critical race theory all wrong. Darius Benton, an assistant professor at the University of Houston downtown who contributed to a book about critical race theory in 2021, he said critical race theory is definitely not about teaching white kids that they are inherently racist. And we, we keep hearing this theme that some white parents are saying that, oh, you're going to teach my kid they're inherently racist. Who, where are you getting that from? What evidence are you citing for this? Teachers are not teaching that. You may feel guilty because of what some of your ancestors have done or maybe some of your relatives, but nobody's teaching children, especially white children, that, they're, that they are inherently racist. Quote, critical race theory is definitely not about teaching white kids that they are inherently racist. It's really more, really more so about understanding how institutional racism it's really more so about understanding how institutional racism is instituted in society, organizations, and government. Now, I want to go to this clip here. This is from uh, uh, Channel 2 in uh, the Houston, Texas area. Uh, Caddy ISD pulls books, cancels author's visit after parents petition claiming subject matter teaches critical race theory. Let's let's go to uh, clip one, Shakita. Scheduled guest speaker at one new at six o'clock tonight, cancer controversy, a petition circulating over a scheduled guest speaker at one KDISD school. That speaker is a children's book author. Jerry Kraft writes stories about African-American boys dealing with race issues in school. So a group of KDISD parents is calling that critical race theory, and that's where this petition comes in. KPRC2, Sion Rhodes, live at Alexander Elementary School. Sion, the district is hitting the pause button on that author's virtual talk with students, at least for now, we understand. That's right, Monique, and it goes even further than that virtual visit being postponed today. I've just learned that those books have now been removed from the district's library, libraries while KDISD reviews them. A flyer sent to parents of Roosevelt Alexander Elementary School students touted the October 4th virtual visit of award-winning children's author Jerry Kraft. According to his website, Kraft Books, New Kid, and Class Act tell the stories of young black boys who experience culture shock at a private school with little diversity. They were pretty excited about it. Amelie Sanchez says her kids were looking forward to the visit and already fans of the books. He loved it. He said it was really funny. It is inappropriate instructional material. Bonnie Anderson had a different reaction. They are pointed at white children displaying my progression to children of color. The flyer gave parents a chance to opt out, but Anderson decided to start a now-deleted petition on change.org to have the event canceled. So the books don't come out and say, we want white children to feel like oppressors, but that is absolutely 
absolutely what they will do. They're uncomfortable with touching that subject. They're uncomfortable with knowing that it's part of the problem. In September, Governor Greg Abbott signed into law a bill banning the teaching of critical race theory in K-12 public schools. A teacher may not teach that an individual by virtue of the individual's race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive. The critical race theory is definitely not about teaching white kids that they're inherently racist. Scholars say critics have it all wrong. It's really more so about understanding how institutional racism is instituted in society. Jerry Kraft did not respond to requests for comment, but in a tweet replying to parents asking why the visit was postponed and his books potentially banned, he wrote, Apparently, I'm teaching critical race theory. Now, in a statement to KPRC2, KDIC said they did receive a formal complaint to review Kraft's books last week. And they added to that statement saying that per KDISD policy, instructional day activities are put on hold until that review occurs. The author has been invited to present outside of the instructional day, and the district is now working on that. They also say that the books will be reviewed in the next 15 days. Okay, so they're going to review his books to see if it teaches critical race theory. You have Bonnie Anderson, who started this petition, this online petition. It wasn't good enough for children to be able to opt, for parents to be able to opt their children out. She wants to shut it down. She says the, the book is, the books are going to teach children uh, that they're uh, going to teach that white children are oppressors even though the books don't say that, but somehow in her mind, that's what she hallucinates. In, by, in her mind, that's what she hallucinates, providing no evidence. This is why it's important to run for school board and to keep nuts off of school boards. This is why it's important who you vote for for the state legislature to keep idiots out of the state legislature so they don't pass bills like banning things like critical race theory and critical race theory is not taught in schools, which is a catch all to attack anything dealing with race and racism, systemic racism. And this is a rallying cry by Republicans because they don't have policies that are really beneficial to like people in general, unless maybe you're like wealthy. They don't have policies, all, all the, basically all the policies that, all the bills that are really beneficial to Americans, they are against. Generally speaking, you may have one or two that vote for them. We had, what, 11 that voted to uh, uh, extend the uh, short-term uh, reprieve, extending the debt limit. Senate passes bill to raise debt, uh, debt ceiling into December. Okay. Um, and you had, uh, let's see here, let's look at this reporting from um, okay, actually in the Senate, okay, actually it looks like you didn't have any Republicans that voted for it. Uh, the Senate voted 50 to 48 to temporarily raise the debt ceiling October 7th. Okay, so when you look at bills like the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, you look at the uh, uh, American Rescue Plan, you look at the American Families Act, you look at... Uh, uh, the American Rescue Plan that uh, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, no Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for the bill. You look at the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, that bill passed March 3rd, 2021 in the House of Representatives by a vote of 220 to 212. All the Republicans in the House of Representatives voted no on the bill, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. You look at the 
the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Basically, all the Republicans in the House voted against that bill. Okay, so you look time after time after time, overwhelmingly, Republicans are voting against bills that are basically beneficial to Americans, especially African-Americans. So they really don't have any policies to run on. So they're going to run on white grievance. In the 2022 midterm election, they're going to run on white grievance. So critical race theory is going to be front and center. They, they've created this boogeyman. And if you read this article here from NBC News, a 17-page article, critical race theory battle invades school boards with help from conservative groups in towns, in, in towns nationwide, well-connected conservatives, well-connected conservative activists and Fox News have ramped up the tension and fights over race and equity in schools. Now, I want to go to this next clip here. This is from um, uh, NBC News. We're going to go to channel. Uh, we're going to go to clip two, Shakita. Texas school district pulls children's books amid critical race theory complaints. Okay, I want to go to the second clip. Okay, take it off mute. All right. So while we wait on the clip to play, um, author Jerry Craft's award-winning children's book, New Kid and Class Act, have been removed from a Texas school district after complaints from parents about critical race theory. KPRC's Cyan Rhodes reports. Play, press play. Virtual visit of award-winning children's author Jerry Kraft. According to his website, Kraft's books, New Kid and Class Act, tell the stories of young black boys who experience culture shock at a private school with little diversity. They were pretty excited about it. Sanchez says her kids were looking forward to the visit and already fans of the book. He loved it. She thought it was really funny. It is inappropriate instructional material. Bonnie Anderson had a different reaction. They are pointed at white children displaying microaggressions to children of color. The flyer gave parents a chance to opt out, but Anderson decided to start a now-deleted petition on change.org to have the event canceled. So the books don't come out and say, we want white children to feel like oppressors, but that is absolutely what they will do. They're uncomfortable with touching that subject. They're uncomfortable with knowing that it's part of the problem. In September, Governor Greg Abbott signed into law a bill banning the teaching of critical race theory in K-12 public schools. A teacher may not teach that an individual, by virtue of individual race or sex, is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive. The critical race theory is definitely not about teaching white kids that they're inherently racist. Scholars say critics have it all wrong. It's really more so about understanding how institutional racism is instituted in society. Jerry Kraft did not respond to requests for comment, but in a tweet replying to parents asking why the visit was postponed and his books potentially banned, he wrote, apparently I'm teaching critical race theory. All right. So that's also from um, NBC News as well. Um so this is this is a crazy story, and we continue to see uh, attacks on uh, books, uh, attacks on subjects that uh, put African Americans and non-white people in the center of the narrative. Uh, and you have a, a movement here 
that looks at talking about racism as promoting racism. Just nonsense. Uh, Jerry Kraft tweeted uh, in response to his books being pulled and the appearance being postponed. He said, apparently, I'm teaching critical race theory. Uh, okay, that's what he that's what he tweeted here. You can follow him at Jerry at Jerry Craft J E R R Y. Uh, this tweet is on September 29th, twenty twenty one. All right, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, hopefully, they reinstate his books, and uh, he gets to speak to the children. They need to have some uh, counseling and some history lessons for the parents also. Uh, the the expert that they have on race speaking to the school in Missouri, Park Hill School that we talked about yesterday, they need to speak to this school here, to this, this, this school district here, and talk to some of these parents to sign this petition. Uh, now, uh, I want to go, we're going to go to uh, clip number, I think it's clip number three, Shakita, here just a second. We're going to stay in the South. We're going to go to Georgia. Speaking of white supremacy, um, the Ahmaud Arbery case, the, the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, I should say, the trial uh, of those allegedly who killed Ahmaud Arbery, that trial starts, uh, jury selection starts October 18th. Okay, October 18th, jury selection. Now, something interesting happened. Uh, September 30th, you had uh, Travis McMichael, the son, and Gregory McMichael. Their attorney entered a motion to keep photos of the vanity license plate that's on Travis McMichael's uh, vehicle. Uh, that they used to hunt down, uh, track down uh, uh, Ahmaud Arbery. It has a vanity plate on it that has a Confederate battle flag of Northern Virginia, which people mistakenly call the Confederate flag. Okay. And the flag uh, resembles the, the state of Georgia flag from 1956 through 2001. Uh, I'm going to go to this clip here from uh, which, which clip is that? Actually, this is clip. Uh, this is going to be clip number four from NBC News. Shakita, let me say, sorry, clip number five from NBC News. Attorneys fight over Confederate emblem as evidence in trial of Ahmad Arbery's uh, killers. Let's go to this clip. We look at this article here. Meanwhile, jury selection in the trial of the men accused of killing Ahmad Arbery is set to begin just later this month. But a legal fight is already underway about a key piece of evidence. Arbery, who is black, was shot and killed in Brunswick, Georgia, in February of last year. He was jogging when two white men in a pickup truck chased him down, and Arbery, who was not armed, was shot and killed. Charges did not come in the case until months later, and that was after video evidence was released. Go ahead and bring in NBC News national reporter Janelle Griffith and NBC News legal analyst Danny Sabalas for us now to help us unpack what this could mean in the steps ahead. Janelle, first up, you know, what's the defense actually asking for and how has the prosecution responded thus far? Yes, Morgan. So the defense has basically asked the judge to ban photo evidence of a vanity license plate that was on 
the pickup truck that the McMichaels used to pursue Ahmad Arbery, the license plate had a Confederate emblem on it, which we know many people interpret to be racist Confederate symbols. And the defense's position is that if the prosecution enters this license plate as evidence, jurors will assume that the McMichaels are racist. And the prosecution will argue that Ahmad Arbery, when he saw the license plate, he had reason to fear the McMichaels and that that was why he ran from them that day. The prosecution, meanwhile, said the jury may interpret that evidence in any way they deem appropriate, and the state may, may make reasonable inferences and closing argument drawn from the evidence. Uh, Danny, I want to kind of give a, some legal context here. I mean, it sounds like what I hear is happening is also at the heart of the case is whether or not this Confederate flag is or is not a symbol of racism. I mean, does the defense have a case here, and how can we expect this to play out? Am I, am I correct in hearing that interpretation? The defense is arguing that this evidence is not relevant. And it's not relevant. There's no evidence that's irrelevant ever comes in. That's the rule. But it's also arguing that it's prejudicial. And there is a rule that if it's so prejudicial, it outweighs any probative effect, it can be excluded. But at the core of this case, these charges of racial animus. And so in all likelihood, the prosecution is going to win this. The court's likely going to err on the side of letting the jury hear the evidence and do with it what they may. Mm. Janelle Griffith and Danny Savalas, thank you. This is a case that certainly shaped the nation and how we think about reasons and like this. We appreciate your analysis and perspective. Thank you. All right. That is from um, that's from uh, NBC News. So if we look quickly here at this article from uh, Insider.com, uh, one of the men accused of murdering Ahmad Arbery is fighting to ban from trial photos of his vanity license plate that features a Confederate flag, that features a Confederate flag. So uh, they talk about the flag uh, resembling the uh, Georgia state flag. Now, it's important to understand that Georgia has the largest Confederate monument in the country called Stone Mountain, all right? And Georgia is a former Confederate state. Uh, okay, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, we're out of time here on that 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Uh, uh, keep watching uh, on Facebook, the African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. We're going to keep going. Right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so uh, Kevin M. Levin tweeted the state of Georgia adopted this flag in 1956. It was clearly an attempt to signal resistance against the federal government's encroachment on segregation and the Supreme Court's ruling in Brown versus Board of Education, 1954 uh, US Supreme Court ruling and the Confederate battle flag was used as a symbol of opposition by Southern states uh, in opposition of civil rights and, and school desegregation, things like this, okay? now. Uh, if we look here, okay, so it's two articles, that one and the one from uh, NBC News uh, as well. Okay, now, in response, the state asked the court to deny Travis McMichaels, the son, deny Travis McMichaels' defense team's motion, stating that the plates were on the truck at the time of the incident where Ahmad Arbery was shot and killed, court documents say. Quote, defendant Travis McMichael's choice and the fact that this vanity plate 
was on the front of his truck was on the front of his truck on February 23rd, 2020, when they, when they killed Ahmaud Arbery, the vanity plate was on his truck. Our intrinsic evidence in this case and can be fully used by the state to illustrate the intent and motive of Travis McMichael, according to the motion viewed by uh, insider.com. Now, according to court documents, the vanity plate, quote, shows a representation to the state of Georgia, shows a representation to the state of Georgia state flag from 1956 through 2001, 1956 through 2001, which includes a Confederate emblem. All right. So jury selection starts October 18th. And if we look at if we look at, oh, also in a separate motion, the prosecution also asked the court to deny the defendant's motion to suppress the body camera footage of a police officer who was the second to arrive at the scene. According to the prosecution, the body cam, the, the police body cam footage includes the officer speaking to Travis McMichael, the son, and Ahmad Arbery's condition following the shooting okay all right so you you have this article here from um insider.com one of the men accused of murdering ahmaud Arbery is fighting to ban from trial photos of his vanity license plate that features a confederate flag. they need a comment in there somewhere you need a comment in there uh in that title but anyway Read this article here. We'll post a link here on the thread of the broadcast. Then uh, NBC News has uh, this article as well. Uh, the one from NBC News, and let's go to that one also. This one here from NBC News is a, is a good article as well. Ahmad Arbery murder suspects seek to ban confederate flag license plate from evidence okay and this is from um october 7th this is from october 7th 2021 now i, I want to zero in here on what the process saying. And Danny Savalas talked about this some also providing legal analysis. Um, so the men, Gregory McMichael and his son, Travis McMichael, claimed in their motion filed September 30th in Glenn County, uh, Glenn County Superior Court, that photo evidence of the license plate on Travis McMichael's pickup truck, quote, is not relevant and would be prejudicial is not relevant and would be prejudicial okay this is what they're arguing but it was on your truck when you allegedly killed Ahmad Arbery so why wouldn't you what's the problem now the motion alleged that prosecutors plan to introduce the photo to 
quote, draw the conclusion, draw the conclusion that when Ahmad Arbery, an African-American man, saw the Confederate battle flag license plate in the state of Georgia, that is a former Confederate state and took up arms in insurrection against the union to maintain slavery. And Georgia is the state that has the largest Confederate monument in the country and in, in, engraved on the side of stone mountain that's the largest confederate monument in the country you gotta see we gotta put see they should have put this they should have put this background information they should have had me write this article they should have put this background information in here because the largest confederate monument in the country is called stone mountain i've been to stone mountain in georgia in 2017 when i was there when i was in atlanta for the um liberated minds black home school and education expo Okay, I've been to Stone Mountain. Let's look at this for a minute. On the side of Stone Mountain, it's a huge mountain. On the side of Stone Mountain, it has in, uh, the, the reliefs, the, the etchings, the carvings of three traitors to the Union who were white supremacist slave owners and took up arms to defend, to, 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 took up arms against the union and committed treason based upon article three, section three of the U.S. constitution. You had general Robert E. Lee, you had Thomas Stonewall Jackson, and you had Jefferson Davis. And Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy. He's from Mississippi, all three of them slave owners. Now this is, read this article here from smithsonianmag.com. What will happen to Stone Mountain, America's largest Confederate monument. The Georgia landmark is a testament to the enduring legacy of white supremacy. Now this is the Smithsonian Institute. This is their official website. They're telling you that it's an enduring legacy of white supremacy. It's a testament to the enduring legacy of white supremacy. That's not me saying this, that's them saying this, okay? So it's in Georgia where Ahmaud Arbery is and the flag that is on uh, Travis McMichael's vanity plate is the Confederate battle flag of Northern, uh, of Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee's army. So you got white men pulling up in a truck with that flag on it with guns talking about, hey, buddy, we want to talk to you. And they're chasing you. Hell, I run too. In Georgia? Oh, hell, I'll, I'll run in Detroit if that happened, but especially in Georgia. Oh, I'm gone. Ain't no talking. So you see, so you have to understand that context. They didn't put that, they didn't put that context in, in, in this article. They should have put that historical context in the article. Now, So the motion alleged that prosecutors plan to introduce the photo to quote, draw the conclusion that when Ahmad Arbery, an African-American man saw the license plate, quote, he interpreted it, he interpreted its meaning and feared the McMichaels and that is why he ran away from them. Okay, see that's, that's called a black man with some damn sense. That's what that is. That's, that, that makes sense. I'd run too. Additionally, 
that McMichael's attorneys claim prosecutors will use the photo to create the, inf the inference that Travis McMichael used the license plate to telegraph to telegraph some reprehensible motive, bias, or prejudice, which they contend is not true. So what's your argument? They're just some good old boys never meaning no harm? Beats all you ever saw get in trouble with the law since the day they were born? But you're you, you gonna make the argument they were fighting the system like a dual modern day Robin Hood or something like that? Like like the like like born Luke Duke with the Confederate battle flag in Northern Virginia on top of the General Lee car in the in the car the General Lee is named after a white supremacist slave owner, General Robert E. Lee. So you, you you're saying they they're just some good old boys never meaning no harm? Jury selection in the trial is scheduled to start October 18th, 2021. So read the rest of this article here. Um, prosecutors requested the motion be denied. In a motion filed this month, prosecutors said the state will present uh, the facts of the case. One of which they said is that Travis McMichael had put the vanity plate on the truck he purchased sometime after January 1st, 2020. Ahmaud Arbery was killed uh, February uh, 23rd, 2020. It was on the truck when, they, when he was, quote, this vanity plate was on the truck at the time of the homicide, prosecutors wrote in the motion. The jury may interpret the evidence in any way they deem appropriate. And the state may make reasonable inferences in closing argument drawn from the evidence. I guess they, I guess they, I guess they're lucky that, you know, they ain't had no clan outfit in in the truck or something like that. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying they're a member of the, I'm not saying they're a member of the clan or something. They could, you know, they could have been, taking the outfit to the cleaners for a friend or something. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, just hypothetically, they're lucky. <laughs> there was no clan outfit <laughs> in the back of the truck or something like that, right? <laughs> then they have to explain that one too. <laughs> okay, so, uh, all right, read the rest of this. Prosecutors have said Ahmaud Arbery, 25 years old, was jogging when the McMichaels, who are white, armed themselves and chased them in the pickup truck with the Confederate battle flag in Northern Virginia on it. Uh, on the afternoon of February 25th, 2020 in Brunswick, uh, Georgia, a coastal uh, Southern Georgia neighborhood where they live, their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, uh, filmed Arbery's death. The cell phone video showed Travis McMichael fatally shooting Ahmaud Arbery as he threw punches and grabbed for Travis McMichael's shotgun. That's called self-defense. The McMichaels have said they thought Arbery was a burglary suspect. Travis McMichaels' attorneys say he shot Arbery in self-defense. Well, you chased him down. Why, why didn't you just call the police and say he went that way? The McMichaels were arrested May 7th, 2020 and charged with murder and aggravated assault after the video was leaked online and went viral. William Roddy Bryan was arrested two weeks later and charged with felony murder and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. Now, it was one of the things Oh, this right here. So, uh, at a preliminary hearing, 
In June 2020, an investigator for the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, uh, who took over the case, testified that Travis met Michael, son, who allegedly shot uh, Ahmaud Arbery. The investigator from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation testified that Travis met Michael had been heard using a racial slur moments after he fatally shot Ahmaud Arbery. A judge ruled the hearing at the hearing that there was enough evidence to support the murder charges against the McMichaels and William Roddy Bryant. The, uh, an investigator from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation testified at the preliminary hearing in June 2020 that Travis McMichael had been heard using a racial slur, a racist slur, moments after he shot Ahmaud Arbery. Actually, Ahmaud Arbery is laying there on the ground dying. Okay, and he called him an N-word. In April, the three men were also indicted on federal hate crime charges, April 2021. Also indicted on federal hate crime charges and attempted kidnapping. They intimidated Ahmad Arbery, quote, because of his race, end quote, the indictment said. So read, uh, read this article here, NBC News. Uh, Ahmad Arbery murder suspects seek to ban Confederate flag license plate from evidence. All I can say is they, they, they're lucky, they, they're lucky there was no Klan outfit in the truck or something like that. I'm not saying it was theirs. It could be a friend. They'd be taking it to the cleaners or picking it up from the cleaners or something like that. I'm, I'm just saying, because <laughs> that'd be something else they had to explain. Is that, oh, it's a costume party. No, it's a it's just a costume party. We're going to pull a prank. You know, we wanted to be Casper the Friendly Ghost, but this is all, this is the only costume they had at the shop. So we, we had to take this. All right. Um, Speaking of taking this, you can still take the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, where we deal with um, what happened to African-Americans, what happened to us, what happened in this country after slavery ended, after the Civil War ended. Each class we go through and analyze approximately a 10-year period of history to uh, understanding laws and policies put in place. Uh, we look at Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877. We look at the Jim Crow era. And we also, we look at how um, Southern states enacted laws after Reconstruction to take back control of the state legislatures and suppress the African-American vote as well. Mississippi, South Carolina, Louisiana, we see this all throughout the South. We look at the... Um, Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case, 1896. Williams versus Mississippi, 1898. Uh, then we go through and look at World War I, World War II, uh, civil rights movement and black power movement. Each class we go through and analyze approximately a 10 year period of history. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have uh, book articles. Uh, we have uh, book references, articles, video clips. And we go through and look at history chronologically to understand what happened to us after slavery and that the laws and policies put in place. So we understand how we got to where we are today and where we need to go from here as well. And we're going to see the role that 
politics and law play. We're going to see the role that politics and law play, and we're going to see why uh, they work so hard to suppress the African-American vote. Okay, because uh, we were uh, during Reconstruction, we voted about 2000 African-Americans into uh, uh, elected office, 20 uh, U.S. congressmen, 20 African-American U.S. congressmen. Um, and you're going to see this rewriting of uh, state constitutions to legalize poll taxes and literacy tests and other requirements to voting to totally take back control of the state legislatures and local offices as well. Okay, I wanna go to uh, this other story here. We, we, we talked about Henrietta Lacks a couple, a couple of uh, days here on the show. And the uh, October 4th was the 70th anniversary of her passing, okay? Uh, and we dealt with the story of uh, attorney Benjamin Crump and uh, filing a lawsuit on behalf of her family against the uh, Thermo Fisher uh, Scientific Company, okay? Uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific. And they allege that this company is using, this biotech company is using her sales with uh, out their permission and, and profiting from the usage of her sales, okay? Uh, so we talked about that here on the show. So there, there was a segment from uh, the readout with Joanne Reed from uh, October 5th, from Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. She spoke to uh, attorney Benjamin Crump and the grandson of Henrietta Lacks, uh, Ron Lacks. Uh, so, uh, do do right by Henrietta Lacks, uh, family attorney of black woman whose sales are commercialized by pharmaceutical company, uh, asked to do right by Henrietta Lacks. Okay, I want to go to this clip here. We didn't get a chance to deal with this the other uh, couple of nights. And then uh, next we'll do a quick recap of class number one of understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what it didn't teach you in school. So I want to tell you about Henrietta Lacks, or Henny, as her family called her. She was a mother of five and a grandmother to dozens. She loved to cook and dance, often with one of her kids. According to her family, she was a beautiful black woman full of style and grace and was the emotional touchstone for her family. In 1951, she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cervical cancer. And this is where she changed the world. But here's the thing. She had no idea. That's because when Henrietta Lacks went to Johns Hopkins, the only hospital that would treat black patients, doctors took samples of her tissue without her knowledge or consent and sent them to a cancer researcher working at the hospital. That researcher discovered that unlike others, her cells had the rare ability to survive and regenerate. Those cells could essentially live forever, the first of its kind. And they took advantage of that with great success. Today, her cells have been used in almost every realm of scientific research, such as the polio and HPV vaccines and in vitro fertilization, and were even used to help research the COVID vaccines. Henrietta Lacks died shortly after her diagnosis, but her cells continued to be used. Scientists shared her private medical information with the press. They even shared her genome, your personal genetic code, with the public. This was all done without consulting her family. According to the Wall Street Journal, scientists today buy her sales for anywhere from 400 to thousands of dollars per vial. 
Yesterday, her estate filed a lawsuit against the biotech company Thermo Fisher Scientific, accusing it of profiteering off of Henrietta Lacks cells. The company has not publicly responded to this suit. I'm joined now by Ben Crump, one of the family's attorneys, and Ron Lacks, Henrietta's grandson. And Mr. Lacks, thank you so much for being here. I just want to put up for the audience just some of the things that your grandmother's cells have helped to advance. Everything from the polio vaccines, as I um, mentioned, understanding x-rays in the human cells, um, the Ebola and HIV vaccines. Um, trying to understand, sorry, the ineffectivity of Ebola and HIV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When did your family find out that your grandmother was the source of all of those scientific miracles? Thank you, Joy, for having me. It's a pleasure. Decades. <laughs> yeah. My, my mother was the one that found out and threw it by accident. She was having lunch with a friend of hers down the street. And uh, the professor that was coming to lunch, my, uh, her neighbor introduced her as Bobette Lax. And he told her, we're working with someone named Henrietta Lax. And she told him, that's my, uh, my mother-in-law. And that's how we found out. You know, Ben, there's a sense of the dehumanization of black bodies and black life here where she, while a human being with a life, that's why we try to describe some of her life, was just treated as a product that could be bought and sold and disposed of at, at will by a company, um, this company, Thermo Official Scientific, and by Johns Hopkins. It's, 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 a, it's a wild sort of uh, reality that, you know, black life was treated this way. What do you hope to gain from this lawsuit? What do you think will be gained? Well, obviously, Henrietta Lacks' uh, miraculous cells were unprecedented. So we know that this would be a precedent-setting lawsuit, not just for simple justice, not just for social justice, but for genetic justice, Joy Reid, justice that will flow from generation to generation. And when you think about Henrietta Lacks being treated in this just inhumane manner, as if she was a lab rat, which was very common at the time when they did medical experimentation. What it was tantamount to was medical racism. But through all that evil, we have this miraculous discovery of this black woman who cells have become the cornerstone of modern medicine. And every pharmaceutical corporation in the world has made billions and billions of dollars, yet her family has not made one red cent. And what we're saying in this lawsuit, they have the right to define her legacy, to benefit from her legacy, and to pass her legacy on to their generations of children yet unborn because her life matters. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a feeling almost like this is sort of an, uh, another way that slavery operated, right, Mr. Lax, that, you know, that your grandmother, while human, was just seen as, you know, Ben Crump said, as a product that could just be bought and sold and that her family was owed nothing. It's shocking to me that, that, that Johns Hopkins, was there any communication at the time with your grandmother to say to her, you know, you have miraculous cells or something miraculous about you. Would you be interested in any way in, in joining? I mean, I don't know. I know black people weren't even treated in most hospitals. Did her doctors communicate with, with her at all what they were doing? Not, not at all. Matter of fact, my grandfather told the story of 
So many doctors coming into her room was strange to them, period. You know, that she was getting so much attention. A black person didn't get that much attention back then. So they knew something was wrong then, yeah. but never explained why. It's, it's shocking. So just for those who are watching, this is the HeLa cell. They call it, they literally named it after her. So they, they were like hiding in plain sight. It's called the H-E-L-A, which stands for Henrietta Lacks. So the lawsuit then is asking the court to order Thermo Fisher Scientific to disgorge the full amount of its net profits obtained by commercializing the HeLa cells. Do you have any idea sort of what those profits have been over the years in total? Well, we don't know, but we know Thermo Fisher alone, this distributor of the sales reported a profit of $33 billion last year. And that's not to say what Merck, Pharmaceutical, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, I mean, it's billions upon billions. And that's when you think about George Floyd this past year and how the corporations all made these pledges to social justice. Well, a lot of them were pharmaceutical companies as well. So if you want to honor that pledge, well, do right finally by Henrietta Lacks. Do right by Henrietta. And I'm with Mr. Ron Lacks, George. You are the perfect person to talk about this because you've always been an outspoken advocate for black women to get their recognition because so often they're disrespected and never has that been more abundantly clear than with Henrietta Lacks. Thank, thank Say you. her name. Amen. Sure. Say her name. Thank you. It, it didn't have to the same site. They changed the name to Helen Lawson and Helen Lane. They yeah. tried it. They tried it. And then you wonder why black people don't trust the medical establishment and why we have to beg and plead with people to get vaccinated. They don't trust the system. These are the reasons that people don't trust it. Y'all, there is a real reason people don't have trust. Ben Crump, thank you so much for doing what you do. Ron Lack. Show your book. Show your book. Absolutely. Show your book. There you go. The untold story right there. All right. Henrietta Lacks, the untold story. Definitely. Y'all pick that up. Ben Crump and Ron Lacks, thank you both very much. All right. So that was from uh, the readout with Joanne Reed, um, MSNBC. That's from October 5th. So check that out. And if we just look at this uh, quickly here, the, the name of the clip, and we'll post a link here. Do Right by Henrietta Lacks, family attorney, a black woman whose sales are commercialized by a pharmaceutical company. Okay, um, we'll post a link right here. That's at MSNBC.com, and that's under the readout with Joanne Reed, jo Joanne Reed's show. Uh, that's from October 5th. And now, just very quickly here, I showed the graphic. Um of some of the significant research advance, uh, some of the significant research that Henrietta Lacks sales have been used in, okay? If we look at this quickly here, zoom in on this. All right, so you have Nineteen fifty three, Henrietta Lacks sales laid the groundwork for the polio vaccine. Nineteen fifty six, her sales helped understand the effect of X rays on human cells. Nineteen fifty six, Henrietta Lacks sales helped develop cancer research methods. 
They also helped understand how space travel may impact astronauts in future manned missions because they took her uh, sails into outer space. Now, I, I've been talking about Henrietta Lacks for a few years. I, I um, She's one of the women that I talk about in the lecture series. I do great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. And I first found out about her in uh, it was probably 2012 when Hidden Colors 2 came out. And um, Tony Browder talked about her in Hidden Colors 2, and I started doing research on her. Um, 1964, the Gila sales, Henrietta Lacks sales, shed light on treatments for blood disorders. 1985, her sales were used to help understand the spread of HPV, okay, the human papilloma, uh, papilloma virus. Uh, 1988, her sales, were, her sales were used to facilitate drug drug development to help treat HIV infection. 2011, her cells were used to help understand the infectivity of the Ebola virus and HIV. And in 2019, Henrietta Lacks cells were, were used to help understand the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines. Now, this is just a few. This is just a few of the scientific breakthroughs and research that Henrietta Lacks cells have been used, uh, have been used in. Now, I don't know that, that now that's not all from uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific Inc, who they filed the lawsuit on October 4th against. Okay. But this is just generally speaking. And according to uh, their website, the uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific Inc, according to their website, uh, their annual uh, revenue is $35 billion, okay, according to their website. Um, you can look at the, uh, once again, the article here. This is a good one from uh, NPR.org, National Public Radio. Henrietta Lacks' estate sued a company saying it used her stolen sales for research, okay? Uh, so we talked about this a couple nights ago. Uh, so you can watch the, the show from uh, it was October 4th, actually, October 4th. That was the October 4th was the 70th, 70th, 70th anniversary of the passing of Henrietta Lacks. She died uh, October 4th, 1951. All right. Hey, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the H dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, then uh, also uh, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have six days a week to help us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. Um, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. When you go to it, it's it's uh, has my name. It says Michael and shows uh, my picture there as well. These others are fake African History Network uh, cash app accounts. All right, I want to uh, I want to do a quick recap of class number one that we had this past weekend on Sunday of ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade. What they, tend, what they didn't teach you in school. 
All right, this is a 10 week online course. And we go through our history, do a thousand of years of history. We look at uh, ancient Africa, we look at Ghana, Songhai, Mali. We look at the uh, 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. And we go through our history and uh, look and see what led to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We look at uh, conquerors, uh, invaders like Christopher Columbus, Hernan Cortez. Um, we look at um, Juan Ponce de Leon uh, as well, who comes into Florida in 1513. Okay, Spanish conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon. So if we look at, uh, I want to pull up the PowerPoint presentation here. We'll just do a quick recap of what, what some things that we covered in class number one. Uh, okay, here. So we deal with um, archaeological discoveries, especially class one and class two. Basically what we did class one, we focused on laying a foundation, okay? Because people come to the class with different levels of understanding of history. So we focused on laying a foundation. We dealt with the African presence in the Americas dating back at least 51,700 years ago. And uh, research from Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Um, and I've interviewed Dr. David M. Hotep a number of times here on the show. Uh, his book came out in 2011, and he deals with uh, the African presence in North, Central, and South America dating back tens of thousands of years ago. Page 14 of his book, um, he lays out evidence discovered in Allendale County, South Carolina in 2004 by Dr. Albert Goodyear, who's an archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. They found 13 different types of evidence that thoroughly documented an African presence in this country dating back at least uh, 51,700 years ago. They found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints and lava, genetic M174, the haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeletons, structures, and tools. Uh, his book has 713 footnotes, is backed up by seven peer-reviewed articles as well. Uh, so this is one of the references, one of the books that we use in the classes reference. You don't have to buy any of these books, but we use it as uh, as, as references. New book is out. The First Americans Were Africans uh, Revisited, I think it is. So we have to bring them back for uh, bring them back on the show to talk about this new book. All right. So some of the things that we dealt with. Um, we talked about. We talked about Dick Nash and uh, who Europeans call Lucy. Uh, her species was Australopithecus afarensis, and her remains were uh, dated to be 3.2 million years old. Dr. Yosef Ben Yakinen called her Dink Nash, which means you are amazing. She was discovered in 1974 by American anthropologist Dr. Uh, Donald Johansson in Ethiopia. The archaeological team was listening to the song by the Beatles, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So they called her Lucy. Dr. Yosef Ben Yakinen said that she's an African woman. She must have an African name. So he named her Dink Nesh, which means you are amazing. Um, so, we, you know, another archaeological discovery we looked at is um, from uh, this one here from uh, 2010. 2010. 
there's an article from the New York Times, February 15th, 2010, on Crete New Evidence of Very Ancient Mariners, on Crete New Evidence of Very Ancient Mariners. And this discovery uh, talks about excavations that took place on the Greek island of Crete over the course of two summers. And archaeologists found stone tools that they say date back at least 130,000 years ago. Okay. Stone tools that they say date back at least 130,000 years ago. But Crete has been an island for more than 5 million years. So this, um, so this is considered strong evidence for the earliest known seafaring in the Mediterranean and calls for rethinking maritime capabilities of pre-human cultures. Okay. Um, Mediterranean voyaging, uh, this seems to push back the history of Mediterranean voyaging more than 100,000 years, specialists in Stone Age archaeology say. Previous artifact discoveries has shown people reaching Cyprus, a few other Greek islands, and possibly Sardinia no earlier than 10,000 to 12,000 years ago. Now, we also talked about... Um, what determines when Easter is celebrated, okay? So many people, especially African-Americans, celebrate Easter, but a lot of people don't know what determines when Easter is celebrated. And we dealt with, you know, just understanding things outside of the circumference of our own awareness. And one of the things I talked about is uh, I referenced uh, African people and European holidays by Dr. Uh, Ishaka Musa Barashango, book one and book two. And I said, you know, if we're going to celebrate, first of all, we should know the history of these European holidays that we've been taught to celebrate, number one. Number two, um, once you know the history of the holidays, if you continue, if you choose to continue to celebrate them, it will, it could influence how you decide to participate. But at least you should know what it is that you're participating in because a lot of these holidays we were just told when we were children to do this, our parents told us, our teachers told us, and many of them didn't know why or didn't know the history. But what determines when Easter is celebrated? Easter is celebrated on the uh, first Sunday following the first full moon following the vernal equinox, and, and it's based upon astronomy, okay? Uh, and you go to American, you can go to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, you can go to the encyclopedia, look up Easter, and it tells you when it's celebrated it's based upon astronomy. It's a movable feast, but also uh, it deals with the um, it deals with fertility goddesses. Uh, the name Easter deals with fertility goddesses um, coming from uh, Germanic uh, fertility goddesses, uh, Anglo-Saxon goddesses. The name Easter may have come from Eostra. E-O-S-T-R-E, or Istra, the Teutonic or Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility, whose feast was celebrated around the start of spring. She is associated with the hare, a large rabbit, the hare, H-A-R-E, and egg, both symbols of creation. The egg the, and the rabbit, both symbols of creation. This is where it's believed that the Easter bunny 
leaving chicken eggs comes from. Maybe I should have said hi to children if you have any little children around. What I say may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness, but just because you never heard heard it before, disagree with it, or don't like it does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what it is that I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so one of the questions that we ask oftentimes is why do rabbits lay chicken eggs? Why, you know, why is the Easter bunny, why is the Easter bunny lay chicken eggs? Okay. And this deals with, um, coming from the, these, uh, fertility, uh, goddesses. Okay. And the symbolism around them. And what happens is as people get conquered, especially as the Roman empire is spreading out and conquering people, they incorporate into what they're practicing. They incorporate into, uh, their celebrate, the Romans incorporate into their celebrations. The Romans incorporate into Christian celebrations when Rome becomes uh, Christian and it, when Rome adopts Christianity, they incorporate into those celebrations what many other people they are conquering are celebrating okay they they incorporate elements of of what some of the people they are uh who they are conquering are celebrating and this becomes incorporated into roman celebrations which becomes incorporated into christian celebrations that also ties into the origins of christmas and how we celebrate Christmas as well. And you have things like the, the festival of Saturnalia from, you know, the Roman festival of Saturnalia, the festival of Mithra, etc. Also, it's, it's a deep history behind all of this. Um, so let's continue here. Where was that? This is this one here. Okay. What is Easter? When we look at the American Heritage Dictionary, the day on which this feast is observed, the first Sunday following the full moon that occurs on or next after the vernal equinox. And then you look at the etymology of it, because one of the things we deal with in the class is etymology of words. We also deal with symbols because there's a symbols encyclopedia that I use, a symbols dictionary that I use has like 2000 symbols in it. Uh, Middle English, Esther, E-S-T-E-R, from Old English, Eastra, E-A-S-T-R-E. And there's also a um, etymological uh, dictionary that I use uh, as well. Now, when we look at uh, Germanic, what does Germanic mean of or relating to or characteristic of Germany or its people, language, or culture? Okay of or relating to the Teutons, T-E-U-T-O-N-S, of or relating to the branch of the Indo-European language family that comprises North Germanic, West Germanic, and the extinct East Germanic, okay? The Germanic branch of Indo-European. So when you when you start studying this history, you're going to deal with different cultures. You're going to deal, deal with different European cultures. Ostara is a Germanic goddess who was always accompanied by a hare, H-A-R-E, possibly the ancestor of our modern Easter bunny. 
The association of both the rabbit and eggs with Easter is probably the vestige of an ancient springtime fertility rite. So one of the things that we dealt with in class one is how many Americans are very ignorant of history. This is why you have these fights over book bans and fights over critical race theory and, and, and fights over taking down Confederate monuments. All the Confederate monuments should be taken down, okay? Um, countries don't erect monuments honoring traitors to the Union, people who try to throw over the government. They don't do that. So there should be historical markers put in the place of, of these monuments. All those monuments should be put in, in uh, all those monuments should be put in museums. Historical markers should be put in their place to talk about what was there and why it was taken down. But this is one of the studies that I uh, talked about. It, it, this is an article from uh, New York Times. 60% of Americans know little or nothing about Juneteenth. Most Americans know little or nothing about Juneteenth old fines. And if they don't know about Juneteenth, then what do they really know about the history of slavery in this country and the lasting legacy of slavery, the lasting legacy of slavery and racism in this country that brought us to where we are today? And a lot of what African-Americans know about Juneteenth is not true either. I've done a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the real history of Juneteenth. A lot of what African-Americans know about Juneteenth is not is not historically accurate either. So let's see here. Uh, let's go. So we talked about the film Black Panther. We talked about how the film Black Panther relates to African history, culture, language, African spiritual systems. The, the language in the film in the film Black Panther is Isi Kosa. Isi Kosa uh, is uh, a Bantu language. Bantu is a group of 500 African languages spoken in Southern Africa, in East Africa, and going all the way west to like Cameroon. Um, this is Dr. D Donald, uh, this, this is Dr. Uh, Albert Goodyear, archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. This article here is from sciencedaily.com. It talks about the discovery he made in 2004. This article is from November 18, 2004. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. And uh, here's a summary of what the article says you can the article is still there you can go read it it's almost 20 years old radiocarbon tests of carbonized plant remains where artifacts were unearthed last may along the savannah river in allendale county by university of south carolina archaeologist dr albert goodyear indicate that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least fifty thousand years old meaning that humans inhabited north america long before the last ice age okay so we dealt with um, just laying a foundation. We looked at, you know, this information here. And one of the most important things for us to understand is that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America, okay? African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't mean the transatlantic slave trade did not happen. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade happened. That's why you have to look at a chronology of history and a chronology of, of the last 50,000 years of history, not just the last 500 years of history. 1619 did happen, but we were here in this land for tens of thousands of years before 1619 happened. This is this is one of the problems. People are not dealing with a long enough timeline of history. OK, so that's why we deal with thousands, 
tens of thousands of years of history and go through a chronology to look at this history and uh, what leads to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. There's a uh, good article from the Washington Post that we talked about um, before 1526, before before 1619, there was 1526 because there's so much talk about 1619 and, you know, the 1619 project, there's some problems with it. It can be used, but it has to be put into the right context. There's some problems with the 1619 project, but, you know, it's better than the 17, it's better than the 1776 project that Donald Trump had up on whitehouse.gov and, and Joe Biden took it down and Joe Biden disbanded the 1776 project. But this is one of the um, articles that we talked about. Before 1619, there was 1526. The mystery of the first enslaved Africans of what became the United States. Spanish explorers brought 100 slaves uh, to a doomed settlement in South Carolina or Georgia in that area. Okay. Because the, the boundaries that exist today in the United States, those boundaries didn't exist at this point in time. This is before 1526 is before there were, there were any English settlements here. Okay. Virginia is not to 1607. That area that becomes Virginia, that's not to 1607. This is 93. This is, a. uh, uh, uh uh, decades before that, and this is 93 years before 1619. Within weeks, the subjugated Africans revolted, then vanished. This is an article from uh, the Washington Post from uh, September 7th, 2019. Okay. And it's around the time of, of that 400th year anniversary um, of August 2016, 19. So 1526 is not really talked about. By the early 1520s, nearly all of the indigenous people in the Spanish colony of Hispaniola were dead. Hispaniola is where Haiti is. Hispaniola is the island. The eastern portion is Dominican Republic. The western portion is Haiti. And this island was conquered by Columbus on Columbus's voyages. Okay. And he goes into Hispaniola in uh, should be 1492. He goes into Hispaniola because he goes into Jamaica in 1494. And one of the things we do is show you where Columbus went on his four voyages. That's why you have to look at this chronologically because the Spanish conquered Hispaniola, Haiti, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Jamaica, Honduras, Panama. That's all the Spanish. And then these European nations are going to be fighting one another. So the French are going to take over the western portion of that island of Hispaniola and call it Saint Dominique. And then that's where you have the Haitian revolution starting in 1791. That's where Haiti is. Enslaved Africans were brought in to replace them in the, in the, in, in the backbreaking search for gold that was getting harder to find, but also they're setting up sugarcane plantations in Jamaica and Haiti and Dominican Republic and Cuba. The Spanish are setting up sugarcane plantations and the French are going to continue to do this as well. So that's why we have to, that's why we have to deal with this chronology of history. Okay. And this is, this is after the Moors lose control of Spain in their last stronghold, which was Granada, January 2nd, 1492. Columbus set sail on his 
first of four voyages later that same year, August 3rd, 1492. All this history is connected. Okay, so, I mean, we, we ended up doing three hours. The class is supposed to be two hours, class number one. We ended up doing three hours. Um, and so we had a really, really, we had a really good class. As soon as you register, you can watch class number one because we do the sessions live. All of them are archived and recorded. So you can go back and watch them. Um, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com is right on the home page. You scroll down, click register here. It takes you to the next page and just click on enroll. And uh, the class is regularly $130. It's on sale $80. And you still have access to the full class even after the class is over because we we're on two different platforms. We use learn world and crowdcast to teach the classes. So, um, you still have access to the class and can watch the full class. Like next year, you want to go back and watch the full 10 week course. Sometimes we may do 11 weeks. You have full access. You can go back and watch the entire course because it will still be housed there, but that's the, that's at our online school for the African history network. Okay, I just posted a link here. You can register for the 10 week online course. You can watch from around the world. As soon as you register, you can uh, watch class number one. There's bonus content that you can watch as well. Also, um, an interview that I did when also um, Dr. David M. Hotep spoke to uh, one of the classes I was teaching a few months ago. That uh, session is there that you can watch also. He talked about the first Americans were Africans documented evidence. And uh, Sister Nubia Wartford, who's an African-American female archaeologist, she spoke to our class as well. So you get to watch uh, that session also. Okay. Um, we also talked about Malcolm X a little bit. There's a clip that I play of Malcolm. And it's an excerpt of the Ballad of the Bullet um, from March 29, 1964. And Malcolm uses the term African-American. Because the term African-American, the oldest recorded usage date, dates back to 1782 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, Jesse Jackson did not create the term African-American. I, I, I really don't know how that started. He reintroduced the term African-American. We were using the term African-American in the 1960s, just like we were using the term Afro-American in the 1890s in 1880s, because the term Afro-American dates back to the 1830s. If you read this article here from um, New York Times, the term African-American appears earlier than thought. The term African-American appears earlier than thought. This is from April 21st, 2015. It talks about a book of sermons uh, written, written by the African-American. This was an ad in the Pennsylvania Journal on May 15, 1782, okay? This was an ad in the Pennsylvania Journal, May 15, 1782. So when you really go and study this history, you see that these are old terms. These are not, you, these are not new terms. These are old terms. I hear people say, first we were colored and Negro, Negro, and then colored and all this stuff. The, the Afro-American Council, which is one of the early civil rights organizations, was founded in 1898 by 
T. Thomas Fortune and um, Bishop Alexander Walters, Booker T. Washington and Dr. W.B. Dubois, okay, uh, William Monroe Trotter. They're members of the Afro-American Council. This is before the Niagara Movement was founded in 1905. And we deal with like all that in the second class that I teach. No, this I hear people say that. And it's like very few people I hear actually talk about the fact, one, that Malcolm X used the term Afro-American, African-American in, um, in, uh, in the Battle of the Bullet. And then when you read the transcript of it, you see the term African-American there because he used that term. This is, let's see, let's do this. Can we play this here? Let me see something here. Let me see if we can play this clip quickly here. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. Oh, you know what? Okay, we got to play. Let's see. Let's do it like this here. Hold on. We'll play that in just a second. Let's do this. Because for the sake of time, I'm playing it straight from my presentation and it doesn't allow me to flip back and forth. So let's do it like this here for the sake of, uh, for the sake of time. Okay. Now we should be able to do Who are you? Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? What was your name? It couldn't have been Smith or Jones or Bunch or Powell. That wasn't your name. They don't have those kind of names where you and I came from. No, what was your name? And why don't you now know what your name was then? Where did it go? Where did you lose it? Who took it? And how did he take it? What tongue did you speak? How did the man take your tongue? Where is your history? How did the man wipe out your history? How did the man, what did the man do to make you as dumb as you are right now? African Americans. African Americans. African Americans. Or so-called Negro. Uh, one One of the reasons that it is bad for us to continue to just refer to ourselves as so-called Negro, that's negative. When we say so-called Negro, that's pointing out what we aren't, but it isn't telling us what we are. We are African, and we happen to be in America. We're not American. We are people who formerly were Africans who were kidnapped and brought to America. We... Our forefathers weren't the pilgrims. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock was landed on us. We were brought here against our will. We were not brought here to be made citizens. We were not brought here to enjoy the 
uh, constitutional gifts that they speak so beautifully about today. And because we weren't brought here to be made citizens today, now that we've become awakened to some degree and we begin to ask for those things which they say are supposedly for Americans, they look upon us with hostility and unfriendliness. So our unwanted presence, the fact that we are unwanted, is becoming magnified in all of America's preachments today. Okay, so that is, it's two clips together, okay? And we've played that here on the show before. It's two clips together. Um, both of them, uh, so the second one was from the Ballad of the Bullet, March 29th, 1964. And um, people should really go through and read the Ballad of the Bullet because Malcolm talks about uh, the importance of voting and registering people in Harlem to vote as independents. People should really read. You have to read Malcolm's speeches. Um, this, these two books here deal with, uh, we deal with, we deal with Malcolm Moore in um, the second class I teach from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, 1865 to 1968. But this book here, um, Malcolm X, Malcolm X speaks edited with prefatory notes by George Brightman. So this has speeches from 63, 64, and then early 65. Okay, this is a really good book here. And they have the Ballad of the Bullet that they have in here. The version is from April 3rd, 1964, Cory Methodist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. April 4th, 1964, Malcolm X delivered the Ballad of the Bullet at King Solomon Baptist Church here in Detroit. March 29th, 1964, he delivered it uh, in Washington Heights, New York. Three days after he met Dr. King for the first and only time at the U.S. Senate debate for the Civil Rights Act. Okay. And then now this other book here of Malcolm's speeches, the final speeches, February 1965. So it basically has speeches from late january 65 and then february 65 we know malcolm's assassinated february 21st 65. so these are two good books about speeches late in in malcolm's life and his ideology is evolving he's already come back from mecca he's created the he's uh, uh created the organization of afro-american unity um uh, uh dr john henry clark helped him to uh uh found the organization, create the organization. A. Peter Bailey, the journalist, helped him do it as well. Organization of Afro-American Unity. So, um, and Malcolm is partly correct in what he's saying. Now, we're not formally Africans. We're still African people. Some of us have just forgotten it. We're still African people. One, two, African people are the original Americans. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't know. This is why you have to deal with the chronology of history, okay? African people are the original Americans. And that's, well, that's why Dave, Dr. David M. Hotep's book is, is uh, so important. First Americans were Africans, documented evidence. So some of us just don't know this. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade happened. But <laughs> we were here for tens of thousands of years before the transatlantic slave trade took place. This was our land stolen from us. This is what we have to understand. 
Okay, let me see. We hit the wrong one. Let's hit uh, this one right here. Is it this one? Okay. We were here for tens of thousands of years before the transatlantic slave trade took place. Okay, so we dealt with that, and we also dealt with how a lot of Americans um, don't understand the U.S. Constitution, don't un uh, uh, don't understand history. There was the there was a good article from um, Alabama.com, and we talked about it before. Uh, one in five Americans can't name the uh, three branches of government. One, one in five Americans can't name uh, one of the branches of government. Let's see here. Can we pull that up? That's from AL.com. And they're talking about a lot of white people. Uh, 30, only 39% of Americans surveyed could name all three branches of the federal government. This article right here. Now, if they don't, and, and then there's, there's also one from CBS News that deals with how most Americans don't know what's in the U.S. Constitution. So if they don't know stuff like this, what do you think they really know about history, especially our history and the history of slavery and how we got to where we are today and the lasting legacy of slavery and racism? One in five Americans can't name a single branch of the U.S. government. This is from September 19th, 2019. This is one of the reasons why that insurrection took place because those dumbasses didn't understand the U.S. Constitution. And they think Vice President Mike Pence can overturn uh, certified election results from the Electoral College and, and stuff like that. The, the Vice don't have that type of power. If that was the case, Al Gore in 2001 would have not would have not certified the uh, 2000 presidential election results that he ran in and lost in electoral college to George W. Bush after Al Gore won the popular vote. If that was the case, if the vice president had that power to overturn certified uh, election results from the electoral college, he would have done that. If that was the case in 2016 presidential election, and, and, and that was the case in 2017, when the e well, uh, actually that would have been uh that would have been December twenty that have been December two thousand when you had the uh uh certification of the electoral college votes that would have been December of uh, wait hold on no 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 that was right two thousand one it'd have been the next year January of the next year that'd have been the next year um because the elect the electoral college votes the first Monday. Uh, sorry, electoral college votes on the um, uh, in December. Um, they vote in December after the presidential election. Okay, that's when electoral college votes. So, and then the certification in Congress, the joint session of Congress, that certification is in January of the following year. So that was January. 2001 in January of 2017 if the vice president the vice president can overturn elect certified electoral college votes then Joe Biden would have done that 
in January of 2017, he would have overturned the uh, electoral college votes that Donald Trump won 360 electoral college votes and defeated Hillary Clinton in electoral college after Hillary Clinton got 3 million more popular votes. If, 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 if the vice president had that, had that power, Joe Biden would have, would have stopped Trump. Vice president doesn't have that power. So these dumbasses believe Donald Trump. And then they went to the U S Capitol building, which Trump has no control over and said, the president sent us here. We were invited by the president the white house is part of the executive branch of government. The white house, the president controls the president doesn't control the U S Capitol building. He can't invite you there. So this article here, alabama.com, one in five Americans can't name a single branch of the U.S. government. Amberg Public Policy Center's Civics Survey found only two in five American adults or 39%, only 39% of American adults surveyed could correctly name the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. Only 39% of adults. That figure was the highest in five years because the previous year, it was only 32%. Only about one third. So what do you think they really know about history? One in five adults could not name any branch of the federal government. Read this one here. Because when you listen to some of these followers of Trump and some of these right-wing dumbasses, and, and, and especially some of these people showing up to uh, uh, school board meetings, talking about critical race theory and don't know what critical race theory is and talking about banning books and 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 trying to shut down conversations and, and, and uh, uh, teaching about the history of slavery and systemic racism in schools and things like this you listen to them you can you can hear how ignorant they are of history and then if they're ignorant of history it's easy to lie to them and it's easy to manipulate them and this is what's taking place okay so those are just a few of the things we ended up doing three hours in the class those are just a few of the things that we dealt with um in the class you can we, we posted the link here you can register uh for the 10-week online course ancient kemet the moors and the maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school i teach this class on sundays 12 noon to 2 p.m eastern standard time uh we do the sessions live all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch them anytime. Now in class, you can see me, I can't see you. So it's not like a Zoom call for work and you can see everybody there and you see the little kids running around or you see the husband or wife in the background going to get some cornflakes or something like that. <laughs> you can see me, I can't see you. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, you can watch from around the world. Okay. Uh, you can watch from around the world as well. And uh the sessions are archived, so you can watch any time, even after the 10-week online course is over with. You can still watch as well. Click on register here. 
takes you to the next page, click on enroll. As soon as you register, you can watch uh, the class we just did this past weekend. There's other bonus content also, okay? Uh, now, the second class that I teach is, uh, so this one's on Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Second class I teach is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. This one is on Saturdays, uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. And this class basically picks up where understanding the transatlantic slave trade leaves off. We deal with some history leading up to the Civil War starting April 12, 1861. We start with the Louisiana Purchase of 1803 and go throughout history. And uh, we, we basically look at a 10-year period of history each class to analyze what happened to us after the Civil War ended. Okay, so we look at Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, Jim Crow era, World War I, World War II, Great Migration, uh, 1915 to 1970, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. Okay, uh, so click on register here. You can uh, register for this class as well. This one is on sale $70 for a limited time only, regularly $130. And just click on enroll and you can watch, uh, you can, uh, we have, uh, you can watch last week's class and uh, we have some archive content as well there as well. Okay. We have some archive content also from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, 1865 to 1968. That's at africanhistorynetwork.com. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember at the African history network, we focus on educating, empowering, and empowering, inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct for own behavior. Uh, I'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. Uh, so we'll discuss it here. We'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. Uh, you can use this information, these classes with your children also. I would say the content is PG-13, okay? I would say it's PG-13. Um, and it's engaging, we have graphics, visuals, video clips. It's not, um, uh, I'm not, it's not crazy. I'm not, not doing a lot of cursing, things like that. Uh, so I would say it's PG-13 also, okay? All right, right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Peace.